0: Thank you for listening to the Trinity Podcast. My name is Marty Reardon, and I'm your host. And recently, we hosted a night we called A Conversation on Sexuality. The audio from that evening has been divided into three parts, and this is part two, episode number two. Uh, In this episode, we were joined by guest speaker Peter Volk, who discussed the New Testament's vision for vocational singleness. Uh, Peter leads a nonprofit called Equip, which helps churches become places where LGBT Christians can belong and thrive, according to a traditional sexual ethic. Thanks so much for listening. My name is Peter Volk. Um, one day a week, I am a, a clinical mental health counselor, and I meet with uh, peoples of all ages navigating questions of faith and sexuality. And then the rest of the week, I run a nonprofit that trains pastors and parents to teach their churches and children about how God created us for intimacy and for community. Um, and then another big part of my life is that I've become convinced that God has called me to vocational singleness for the sake of the kingdom. And I'm helping start an intentional Christian community in Nashville for men who feel called to a uh, vocational singleness for the sake of the kingdom uh, called the Nashville Family of Brothers. So tonight, uh, I want to deepen your vision for how God wants to use your singleness, whether it's going to be temporary or lifetime, and I want to explore how single people and the church can do this better. But uh, I didn't always think about vocational singleness in these ways. Quite the opposite. Um, From an early age, I heard those same narratives we heard Ashley just share about. I assumed that the best things in life were enjoyed through marriage. And if I was a good Christian, I would get married. Um... Even at the age of five, I understood this. Uh, my brothers and cousins and I would play house, and we'd assign roles. You'll be mommy, I'll be daddy, you'll be baby. Uh, and then we start filling out the B team, right? Uh, and all that's left is the annoying cousin, so we decide she's going to be the cat lady next door. So how does she react? Well, not laughing, she screams, and she throws a toy at us, and she says, that's not fair. Uh, we all understand that getting married and having kids was was better and remaining single and without kids was cursed it was not good to be the cat lady next door we knew that at age five so fast forward to college um during one longer season of singleness i started fearing that i might not ever get married it was probably some friday night when all of my roommates were out on dates and i was home alone uh so after spending an hour switching between Netflix shows, trying to find something to dr- drown my feelings in, uh, I gave up. And I did what any good Christian does. I went to Scripture to find a promise uh, from God to soothe my fears, to reassure myself God will give me the things I want. Instead, I—and and to my surprise, the Bible didn't actually promise me marriage. Quite the opposite— uh, Jesus and Paul urged Christians to consider vocational singleness. So that was a pretty scary revelation. Uh, by the time I graduated college, I had dated a couple of women and fallen in love with one of them. But I had also had long periods of singleness during which I grew to appreciate that singleness. Both marriage and singleness seemed like real possibilities for me. I had a choice to make. But for reasons I can't explain other than the Holy Spirit... I couldn't ignore the undeniable feeling that it wasn't my choice to make. That that God wanted me to offer that question to Him. That He had a preference for my future, and I would benefit most from listening to what that preference was. So I started discerning what God was calling me to, and eventually I became convinced that I was called to vocational singleness. And two big questions uh, stood out at that point in the process. What is this vocational singleness? And how do I do it well? These questions were particularly difficult because growing up, I never heard anyone teach about these things. Um, I never saw anyone modeling thriving in vocational singleness. So today I want to speak about uh, or speak to those of you who are single, whether you're desperate for God to uh, give you a spouse, whether you're content with singleness for now, or whether you have accepted a lifetime call to singleness for the sake of the kingdom um and i want to speak to those of you who are married about how you can care for single friends well and perhaps your children um so we're going to answer three questions first what is vocational singleness second why does god call some people to vocational singleness and third uh, how can single people and the church do this better so first question what is vocational singleness Vocational singleness is a vocation. That's the first word, a vocation. And a Christian vocation is generally a, a calling with a specific design for a specific purpose with a specific provision. That's a vocation. That's a Christian vocation. So vocational singleness is a, a lifetime calling to singleness for the sake of the kingdom. Let me break down that a definition um so vocational singleness is a lifetime calling that's the first part um it's a calling god calls us to either a vocation of marriage or a vocation of singleness and, and the bible teaches that our vocation is uh given or called not really chosen god has a preference and he wants to communicate that preference to us in matthew 19 Verses 1 through 12, Jesus says that God has called us to either marriage or vocational singleness and has given us a capacity to accept Jesus' teachings about those, about marriage or vocational singleness, according to our calling. And then 1 Corinthians 7, uh, Paul says that God gives some the gift of vocational singleness and God gives others the gift of marriage. So it's a calling. Um, But it's not just a calling, it's a lifetime call. God intended for vocational singleness to be committed and permanent. In Matthew 19, verses 1 through 12, Jesus speaks of a call beyond temporary singleness and compares vocational singleness to being a eunuch, a state which is permanent. And then in 1 Corinthians 7, uh, Paul recognizes and praises committed singleness and teaches that it is better to keep a commitment to vocational singleness than to break it. So at this point, it's probably helpful to make a little distinction uh, because I've been using the word vocational singleness over and over again. How is that different than maybe a word like temporary singleness? Because that vocational singleness is what I'm talking about here. Uh, we're all born into temporary singleness. That is our default state. We're all born into that, right? We're born single. Um, and then some of us are called to Christian marriage out of temporary singleness, and some of us are called out of temporary singleness into a lifetime vocation of singleness for the sake of the kingdom. Those are, that's God's design. So, and why is it important to make that distinction? Because there's a big difference, as we've already heard, between just waiting for marriage versus accepting a call to permanently give up the prospect of romance, sex, marriage, and children in order to use that availability to do kingdom work parents can't. It's a big difference between those two things. My friends in temporary singleness seem to only be shallowly rooted in their spiritual families and in their kingdom work they're doing, because they need to always be prepared to reorganize their lives around their future marriage. Temporary singleness is a little different. Um, and the two passages where Jesus and Paul encourage every Christian to consider singleness aren't commending temporary singleness. They're commending vocational singleness. In order to receive the gift of God to do vocational singleness well, we have to step out of temporary singleness and commit to this vocation of singleness. So so I want to focus in the next 15 minutes or so uh, on vocational singleness because I think it's the one we don't hear enough about in the church. Plus, even if you're only going to be single temporarily, even if vocational singleness isn't for you but you're single right now, I think there's ways you can borrow from the rich theology of vocational singleness uh, in in, in Christian history and in the Bible Even if only for a time Okay, so back to our Definition of vocational singleness Vocational singleness is a lifetime Calling to singleness It's a call to give up Romance, dating, marriage And sex But that doesn't mean it's a call to loneliness As Ashley has uh, already stated It's still a call to Intimacy within the context Of committed family Um, In Matthew 19, verses 1 through 12, Jesus talks about a vocational singleness as giving up of romance, marriage, sex, and children. And then in Luke 18, 28 through 30, Jesus promises a hundredfold brothers, sisters, and children now in the present time and in the next life to those who give up the potential for spouse and children for the sake of the kingdom. And then in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul confirms The vocational singleness involves giving up sex, romance, marriage, and children, but recognizes that those called to vocational singleness still need committed family. And we're going to talk about in a second how those called to singleness, vocational singleness, can still find family. Okay, so we've gotten through the what. What is vocational singleness? It's a lifetime call to singleness. Now let's talk about the why. Why does God call some people to vocational singleness? Vocational singleness is a lifetime calling to singleness for the sake of the kingdom. Jesus uses that phrase for the sake of the kingdom in Matthew 19 verses 1 through 12 and in Luke 18 verses 28 through 30. Um, Those called to vocational singleness do this in three ways. They they live their life for the sake of the kingdom in three ways. First, uh, God intended for those in in vocational singleness to use their availability, to use their time freed up, particularly because... They're not going to be doing the work of raising children to do the work that parents don't have the time and energy to do, to do the kingdom work that parents don't have the time and energy to do. In uh, 1 Corinthians 7, Paul explains that vocational singleness involves giving up a spouse and children to be more concerned with the work of the church. Second, uh, vocational singleness is for the sake of the kingdom because it embodies the gospel in unique ways. Ashley already spoke to this some. Uh, Similarly to marriage, vocational singleness is an image of that love of God found in the Trinity and between Christ and the church that preaches the gospel by pointing us back to the true things that that image reflects. Vocational singleness is supposed to be spiritually procreative, sacrificial, committed, intimate, and hospitable, pointing those who see that image Back to the original source, God's love. And then the third way that vocational singleness is for the sake of the kingdom is because it gives every Christian hope for the new heavens and the new earth, for that that final marriage in the biblical narrative. In Luke 20, 34 through 36, as Ashley has pointed us to, Jesus teaches that we will essentially all be celibate in the new heaven and the new earth. So vocational singleness preaches... The gospel in a way that marriage does not, by serving as a physical sign and hope, if we're doing it well, a hope for how we will all live in the next life. Um, contemporaries of early Christians saw marriage as a necessity to secure physical protection, wealth, and a legacy through descendants. So when, uh, in in the times of Jesus, when Christian celibates fulfilled those promises in Isaiah 56 and Luke 18 by experiencing a more family, belonging, and honor than married people. That's what those verses promise. When early Christian celibates did that, they were providing Christians in their time with a preview and a hope of the new heavens and the new earth where God would keep us safe. God would provide everything we needed, and God would never forget us. But I'm not sure that narrative is as powerful today because we have different things that we value uh, so let's update that a little bit. I think today we seem most interested in romance and marriage because they promise a way to find faithful love and to escape loneliness. I think that's something we really value. Our hope in marriage and romance is that we will find faithful love and that we will escape loneliness. So I think modern Christian celibacy can uniquely testify to the fullness of God's love by previewing a time when we don't have to compete To be more attractive, to be more intelligent, to be more funny than others in order to be loved by others and to belong in a family. That's the story modern Christian celibacy is supposed to tell. Christians today should look at those in vocational singleness and see us enjoying intimate community without the need for romance or exclusivity or competing for each other's affections. And that preview should give every Christian hope for the fullness of God's love in the kingdom to come. So that's, that's how vocational singleness, uh, for the sake of the kingdom is supposed to tell that story. So vocational singleness is a lifetime call uh, to singleness for the sake of the kingdom. It's supposed to be a vocation that is just as beautiful as marriage, both practically and theologically. Isaiah 56, three through five promises celibates family, belonging and honor equal to married people that they will be full and equal members of the family of god that they will be spiritual parents in ways just as great as biological families in matthew 19 jesus suggests that the average jew should consider vocational singleness lifting up celibacy from being an exceptional vocation for only a few to an equally normative calling for the average believer in Luke eighteen twenty-eight through thirty, Jesus promises this a hundredfold blessing to celibates, suggesting it is equal if not greater in some ways. In 1 Corinthians seven, Paul shows a preference for vocational singleness. Uh, at least it has this practical benefit of that you can be more available for the kingdom work that parents can't do. But I'll admit that's not always how we see it today. Singleness doesn't vocational singleness, lifetime committed singleness doesn't really appear as good as marriage. Um, those who are single long-term seem lonelier than those in marriage But it doesn't have to be that way, which Is a good segue, uh to kind of close our conversation Which is I want to talk about how single people and our churches can do this better Can do vocational singleness better Um, so that it's just as good so that it's no less lonely So I want to start by um, encouraging single people in three ways first Regardless of your calling, whether you're going to be single for a time or single for a lifetime, uh, use your singleness for the sake of the kingdom. Whether you're single from the next month, the next year, the next decade, leverage your singleness for the Lord. We've got so much more time and energy on our hands compared to our friends who are raising children so what if instead of spending that extra time and energy on dating apps or ch- chasing the best Instagram photos, uh, what if we use that time and energy to address wealth inequality in our communities, to seek racial reconciliation, to end homelessness, to advocate for immigrants and refugees, to care for single mothers, to care for those struggling for, with mental illness, to love the LGBT folk in our lives well, to volunteer, lead, and teach in this church, to come around your married friends and help them raise their children and do that important work better. And what if all of that convinced the people in our communities that didn't know Jesus that something must be possessing us that is otherworldly to spend our lives for the sake of others? What if we did that? Second, if you're single right now, regardless of whether that's for a time or for a lifetime, I want you to find family. None of us can do singleness well without community. God made us for relationship with other humans we need healthy intimacy. And while we can't perma- permanently escape loneliness in this lifetime because we live in a broken world, if we don't proactively meet our intimacy needs in healthy ways, we all tend to reach out for those unsatisfying and destructive shortcuts. So this might look like single people um, living um, together and committing to rhythms of prayer and, and confession and meals and fellowship together. It might look like um, single people staying and living with their biological family or moving in with a different nuclear family. Um, whatever you do, find family. And I'll talk about that a little bit more in a second, how those already in families can help include single people in that. Uh, and then third, um, I want to include those of you in the room who are single to discern whether God, God might be calling you to this vocational singleness that I've been talking about. God is calling some of you. To a lifetime vocation of singleness, and he wants to give you that gift. So discern, seek what God is calling you to, and embrace it. Um, briefly, you know, first develop your your spiritual muscles for general discernment. You know, practice asking God important questions or asking God questions uh, on less important matters. Second, make sure you've got a good understanding of, of marriage and vocational singleness, and you don't have any emotional or theological hurdles to either of them. Third, consider whether your your day job, the occupational vocation God seems to be calling you to, might be better served by being single for the sake of the kingdom. Or alternatively, ask whether maybe raising children for the sake of the kingdom seems to be the primary work God is calling you to. That's a, that's a helpful way to... Discern this question. Uh, fourth, maybe look at your past and present circumstances to see if God has been leaving any clues as to whether God wants you to be married or wants you to commit to vocational singleness. Uh, and fifth, and and definitely important, ask parents, ask pastors, ask mentors, ask friends for their opinion. What do they think God might be calling you to? Ask them to pray with you about this process. There's a lot more about that I can say about that discernment process. Uh, so if you're interested in learning more, uh, feel free to connect with me at the end of this conversation or, or grab my contact info somehow. So single people, uh, live your singleness for the sake of the kingdom regardless of how long you're single. Find family regardless of how long you're single. And discern whether you might be called to this particular vocation of singleness for the sake of the kingdom. All right, last, um, for those of you in the audience who are married, which seems like a lot of you, Um, I want to share three ways you can make the church a better place for single people Including some of your own children who might be called to vocational singleness first Uh parents. I want to encourage you and married people I want to encourage you to teach about vocational singleness from an early age We need to teach our children about the paths that god might ask them to take marriage or vocational singleness Every time we speak about marriage, we need to speak about what Scripture has to say about vocational singleness. From a young age, we need to start start sharing both about marriage and about vocational singleness as beautiful possibilities. As as often as we talk about the beauty of being a father or a mother, we need to talk about the beauty of the heroes of faith who were able to do more for the kingdom because they were single. As they reach puberty and start to explore relationships with others— Our argument for abstinence shouldn't be based on just save yourself for marriage. Instead, we can focus on pleasing God, God's design for relationship, and recognizing the possibilities of both marriage and vocational singleness. All right, second way that I want to encourage those of you who are married to be a part of this work is to invite teens and adults to discern what they're called to. How often do Christian teens and young adults ask, God, do you want me specifically to be married? How many of us ask that question? How many of the teens that don't ask that question end up divorced or perpetually searching for the one? If they assume. So I think parents need to invite teens and adults to begin asking God what he has for them and help them do all those steps I shared about earlier. Uh, develop their, their spiritual muscles for discernment. Ask, uh, Make sure they have a healthy theology of marriage and, uh, and of celibacy. Uh, consider what their occupational vocation might be. Look into their past and present for clues of where God might be calling them. Pray about this as a family. Talk about this as a family. All right, and third, um, I want to ask those of you who are married to help single people find family. One of the biggest ways we can support single people um, is by helping them connect with something that's often hard for them to find. And single people need intimate, committed family just like anybody else. They need a family of companions that they know will be there in a decade. They need to know who will be there for dinner at night, who will hear about their day, who they will go on vacation with. So we need to help them find that kind of family uh, and there's three ways we can we can do that. First, we can encourage single people to stay deeply connected to their biological families. This might look like living with a, a parent, a sibling, or a cousin, doing rhythms of, of family uh, with those people, and committing to helping them raise their children in that household. Parents, are there single people in your extended family that might need a place to call home? Second, um, married people can knit single people into uh, an unrelated nuclear family. Maybe people could go out of their way to choose single people as godparents God for their children. Uh, when two of my friends uh, had their first kid, they reached out to me and asked me to be their son's godfather. We've been in each other's lives for uh, nearly a decade. So they thought more deeply about vocational singleness maybe than your average couple because I've had these conversations with them. So, And they said they wanted me to be their son's godfather. Because they wanted to formally incorporate me in their family in some way Second, they knew that my vocational singleness Meant I would be more available to help them raise their son Than the average married, married, married person might be And then third, they wanted their son to grow up seeing a Christian Thriving in vocational singleness They didn't want him to grow up assuming that he would get married and have kids Instead, they wanted him to see both marriage and vocational singleness modeled and valued in their home. So maybe that's a way you can include people in your nuclear family. Uh, or you can invite them to, to, to weekly dinner or include them in holidays or vacations. You can even invite them to, to live in your home, to commit to your family in some way, to help you raise your kids. And then there's a third way that uh, single people can find family. You can help single people create, you know, intentional Christian communities, families of single people for themselves. Help single people gather and commit to being family for each other and doing rhythms of family together. I think this is perhaps the least conventional option, but I think it might be the most beautiful. And it also involves the most logistics. So this is why it's important for you guys to be a part of this process. You guys can help support single people in creating these intentional Christian communities by suggesting the idea by helping them cast a vision for it, by providing support uh, while they explore this possibility, by coaching them through the process, maybe even providing financial support in the early years of that process. Um, we've done just that in Nashville. Um, a handful of us independently discerned that God was calling us to vocational singleness, but we weren't sure uh, how we would find intimate family that we could depend on. So I asked my pastor for his advice, uh, and he responded with the following. He said, uh, monasticism isn't the only way for single people to find family, or necessarily the best way. But it has been the most common way. Monasticism has been the biggest source of theology in the church. Monasticism has been the biggest source of evangelism in the church. And monasticism has been the biggest source of social justice in the church. You should consider it. So, uh, a, a low-key recommendation. Um, Now, I haven't gone and started a monastery, but I did take his suggestions to heart that there's a certain way that that celibate people over history have made family together. And so two years later, we established the the Nashville Family of Brothers, uh, an ecumenically Christian brotherhood committed to offering family to celibate men in Nashville for God's glory. We have family rhythms of daily prayer, weekly confession and accountability, Monthly large group prayer and worship gatherings we do holidays and vacations together and we have a shared mission work in our city brothers discern for at least four years before making Final commitments of of celibacy and family and simplicity and and commitment to our rule of life Our brotherhood is ecumenically christian. So our homes are not our primary places of worship We are required to still be deeply committed to the missions and the communities of our local churches we have jobs outside of the brotherhood. It's not like we make cheese together all day. Um, that'd be tasty. We've had some requests for some beer. Mostly people have ideas for what we should call the beer. They're not going to help us make it. They just have great name ideas. Um, but yeah, we have jobs outside of the monastery. And instead of being cloistered, we live in single-family homes in the city, next door to our friends who are parents. And the doors of our house... Our homes are always open to extended family and friends. And what we're hoping is this brotherhood serves as a seed for a larger experience of intentional Christian community in Nashville. So for those of those people who are single in your lives uh, maybe you can help them find family by, by reaching out to the single people in your biological family who are looking for a home Maybe you can help them find family by uh, including unrelated single people into the rhythms of your nuclear family um, Or maybe you can help them uh, Put together some intentional christian community for themselves But I think you, what you see with each of these is each of these involves living together And commitments to doing life together Um, I I don't need someone to grab dinner with me once a month. I don't need a rotating door of small groups where we take breaks in the summer and then I have a different small group every year. That's not family. None of you who are married would accept that level of family from your spouse. I need family. So we've explored what vocational singleness is, uh, why God calls people to it, and how single people and the church as a whole can do this better. Um, I've got one last thing I want to share. There's one part of my story that I left out because uh, I didn't want it to be a distraction. Uh, I didn't want you to think uh, that what I had to say today was irrelevant because maybe our stories are a little different. Uh, You see, I'm gay. Um, Yes, I mentioned I dated a couple of women and grew a specific desire for one woman, but I'm not generally attracted to women and I am generally and consistently attracted to men. Um, I'm gay. And I believe that God calls all Christians to either Christian marriage with someone of the opposite sex or this vocational singleness for the sake of the kingdom. I think that's God's best for each of us who are Christians. And I was afraid to tell you that at the beginning because then you might think that I only considered vocational singleness because of my sexuality and my convictions, but those of you who are straight don't really have to consider the same possibilities. That lifetime singleness is only for gay people. Uh, but I hope I've made clear that everyone should be discerning that question, should sort of asking God what he's calling them to. Uh, yet it's true, gay Christians seem to be the only people who actually consider vocational singleness. Most straight people have never stopped to consider vocational singleness. In, in our churches uh, have led straight people to believe that you only have to be celibate if God disrupts your life and gives you an undeniable call. Um, It seems like our churches uh, allow straight people to assume that they get to choose whether they get married or commit to singleness. So if they want to get married, they can go take it. Our churches teach that celibacy is only for asexual people or only for gay people or only for people who don't want to have kids. So as a result, there's very few straight people committed to this vocational singleness. And using their singleness for the sake of the kingdom, a vast majority are only single for a season. So... Gay Christians seem to be the only people who stop and ask, God, what do you want for my life, regardless of my preference? Even straight Christian women who are single have a good chance of eventually finding a spouse if they're determined to get married. Although many single women have a harder time finding a spouse than men because there's less faithful men in the church. It's a numbers game. So we need to be honest about that. But it's still not quite the same. Most of my uh, my my uh, female friends who are single, uh, if they want marriage, it, it's it's likely they don't have to reckon with the possibility of lifetime singleness like I do. No gay Christians seem to be the only people considering vocational singleness. So because there are so few people doing celibacy, and the group of people doing celibacy are these weird gay Christians, uh, churches can ignore them, and neglect to meaning, meaningfully invest. And their lives and support celibate people. But this doesn't just hurt gay celibate Christians. We're, we're merely the canaries in the coal mine. Our suffering is the first visible symptom of a larger problem. Uh, churches that don't teach or support vocational singleness do so to everyone's detriment, as we've already mentioned. So, but if more than just gay celibate Christians suffer from our church's poor support of vocational singleness, then that also means that more than just gay Christians will benefit from better support. It's not just good for the gays. Um, Everyone will benefit. If both marriage and vocational singleness are seen as beautiful possibilities, every Christian asks God whether he prefers they step into singleness or marriage. And then those called to marriage will step into it for the right reasons, and it will be likely to thrive. And on the other hand, we'll start to have this meaningful minority of straight Christians stepping into vocational singleness, leading to a powerful minority in the church, radically available to minister to the poor, to the sick, to immigrants, to refugees, and those struggling with mental illness, to bring the gospel alive, to bring the gospel alive in a way that draws people to Jesus. If you want to talk about a revival in America, send 10% of Christians. To spend their lives healing the communities Around them instead of raising children And you will see revival in America That'll do it So um, to put it frankly If you're a straight person And you aren't married It could be easy to ignore what I've had to say today It'd be easy to ignore What scripture has to say about vocational singleness And discernment It'd be easy just to let romance lead you to marriage And why that Will end poorly for some of you that might end pretty well for a lot of you. Despite failing to discern and maybe chasing an idol, uh, it might turn out all right. That's your privilege. The church in our culture has become optimized to accommodate the idolization of romance. Romance. And seemingly protect straight people from the consequences. But if you ignore what I have to say today. You're helping maintain the circumstances in the church. That lead to so so much pain. For so many gay people. For so many single women. For so many divorcees. For so many widows. So I beg you straight Christians. Please discern for your own sake. It will make marriage better. For those of you who are called to it. It will make vocational singleness better. For those of you who are called to it. But. Even if you're not motivated by your own uh, need to discern this question, what if you did it for the gays? If not for your own sake, discern for the sake of gay people like me. So that a small but mighty number of straight Christians can join gay Christians in the ranks of celibate Christians. Add your voice to our cries for better teaching and support in the church. You can be a big part of helping the church build that, to become a church where people like me can thrive. And in the process, you'll step down the path that God is most eager to bless, uh, and the path where you'll experience the most beauty that God has for you. Thank you, guys.